Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. This week, we'll be talking about a new potential F1 team. We'll be looking at the junior records of the drivers on the current grid. And apparently, there's been a change in the F1 staffing structure. We'll find out more. There's no meet the panel this week because Kyle's new house is falling apart in the face of the storms battering the UK. So good luck, Kyle. Uh, but remember, this doesn't get you out of that housewarming party. I'm also joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How was your evening, Matt? It's going quite well. Although I have to say, if I was real American, right now I'd be outside shooting guns, eating squirt cheese from a can and watching the Daytona 500. But instead, I'm kind of excited to be here talking to you about F1 because we've seen real cars. Is that the NASCAR one where they open their boots and they grill meat in the back of the, in the trunk? That's the one. Ah, okay. Well, instead of doing that, let's talk about F1. I'll just remind people that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining us from a sleazy backwater bar in Copenhagen, it's our token Viking, Christian Pedersen. Hello, Christian. Good evening, Spenners. Good evening. You getting riled up and uh, hyped up for the F1 season? It's like there never really was a winter vacation or anything. It's like it's just kept on going somehow. It's uh, And it's the same every year. So I'm looking forward. It's only three days and we have cars on track. Oh, well, that has completely flown by. So in three days we have not testing the shakedown, even though the president dis- described it as testing earlier this week. It is the testing in uh, in Barcelona in three days. Yes. Am I not? The issue right? is yeah. the issue is that because they've called it a shakedown, and that's why it's not being broadcast, and they're not letting people oh, into way. the ground. Okay. So, uh, but the uh, the FIA president did refer to it as testing in the week. So maybe he's a bit confused as well. And now we go to a, a small windmill in Amsterdam, and we're joined by Jules Sagers. Hello, Jules. Hi, Spanos. Good evening. Uh, good evening. So, yeah, the, no, no, uh, no testing on TV. One that I'll miss. No testing, no timing, 
just another shakedown after the shakedowns of this week. Yeah, so we'll have to rely on the F1 journalists from around the world going, ah, the Ferrari looked red. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, some some segment by Gary Anderson standing at some corner telling us what car looks on rails and which ones do not. Oh, do you know, I just I really feel like I'm missing out on the testing this year, Matt. I, I, I know we're going to get it in Bahrain as well, but maybe maybe I could actually do with this little extra bit of off-season because when Christian just said cars on track in three days, I, was, I genuine, genuinely thought, oh, really? Yeah, well, it's uh, part of it is I think they're doing it on purpose. They're worried that things might not go well for teams. It's the only reason I can think of. I can understand not necessarily having TV coverage of it, um, that's probably a business decision, like how many people actually watch it. But not letting fans in the grandstands means it's going to cost more to have the venue. Uh, if we think back to last year, uh, the first test, actually the feeling afterwards was a bit like, well, we didn't really see anything. Mercedes didn't introduce their real council, uh, the second test. And basically the teams handled it like it was a shakedown. So maybe it's just the reality from from that experience. Wasn't it also the issue that Bahrain kind of wanted the real winter test yeah. and wanted to pay for it? So the Barcelona test is now the shakedown. Now a shakedown. I'm glad you reminded me of that because I was about to kind of defend it by talking about the 2014 first test. And that was the one where, wait, I know this didn't happen, but in my head, Sebastian Vettel got out halfway around the track and just went meh and just walked off and didn't come back. But that was the kind of feeling we had with those cars all just chugging to a halt. It was amazingly dramatic. It was the best thing ever. If testing was always like that, it would probably do better than like, oh, I don't know, half the races that they actually run. Because it was the Renault couldn't do more than about a lap and a half yeah. <laughs> before it exploded. Yeah. It was fantastic. And and uh, we weren't really going to talk about launches but yet, but Tim Rudd has pointed out in our live chat, hello, live chat, and that most of the teams have already run 100 kilometers plus, of course, with their TV days. And they can't use proper tyres, they have to use these kind of dud tyres, or they seem to be able to use wet tyres as well, Matt. Uh, but they will have learned an awful lot from that. The The engines will be going around, putting distance on, on those parts, and they will know that their new flappy gurney isn't going to fall off. And importantly for the Ferrari, they'll know that that weird boat section that they've put in their side pods doesn't just fill up with water. You mean the tortellini side pods? Is that what they call it, the tortellini side <laughs> Excellent. That's what I call it. Fantastic. Uh, Patent pending. Patent pending for that. Uh, But yeah, so we're seeing some of the teams with not just the completely the same concepts that we feared it might be. But uh, Christian, I'm looking at the Ferrari and I'm going, nah, that's that's a good idea on paper. There's no way the big scoopy scoop works. Actually, when you think of it, uh, the first shakedown here in Barcelona, the the weather could play a a really dominating role because if it's really cold i don't think a lot of the teams can test anything if you see these skills on the ferrari and and some of the other cars it's uh i think they have cool not issues but cooling thoughts this year yeah. on, on most of the cars from all the repackaging so uh so maybe barcelona is not really even the place to go maybe that. not but matt I, do, I, I don't want to get into a tech show here but i looked at the mercedes launch and it looks like they just didn't attach the cooling side pods they've just they've gone without cooling this year no, uh, what's what's happened is um, there's space in the regulations along the side pods and uh, engine cover for louvers. 
which uh, you saw in the Aston Mart, uh, in the Aston launch along the side pods, all those little slits. So different teams will have attached greater or lesser amounts of those, and they will probably vary depending upon where they're racing. Okay, so look, that was our little bit of launch news. We'll loop back to that a little bit. But first, let's go to the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Okay, did you did you hear the news, guys? Did you catch that last week or did it pass you by? The FIA has moved on race director Michael Massey. It's very similar to to what we predicted would happen here. They're not going to churn him out on his ear. He, they like him. They, I'm assuming that he's friends with people in the FIA and he's done a, a good job and, and worked hard. So they weren't going to turf him out on his ear. However, it seemed clear to us here at Missed Apex Podcast that, and many other people, that the position as race director was untenable given what happened in Abu Dhabi. He has been moved on now and has been replaced by by two people who will be sharing that role. So we'll learn a little bit about those guys. And we'll see what the panel here know and we'll learn more about them as we go on. But let's be quite clear here. Moving Michael Massey on is as close to an admission, I think, as we're going to get. that What happened in Abu Dhabi was wrong. And I will come under fire for being Hanfosi and anti-Max and I'm, I'm trying hard not to be. But... There is an asterisk on the World Drivers' Championship for 2021. What happened should not have happened. It was a bizarre decision that has cost the race director his job. If they could have defended what happened and how that played out, he'd still be the race director next year. But the fact seems to be agreed on now that there was no mechanism to allow what happened. The asterisk was already there, and I think the removal of Massey as the race director has made that asterisk bigger and I don't think that's fair on Max or Max fans I, I I think that is rough but it was it is clear now that there was no proper way for Max Verstappen to win that driver's title there was no real option to have an asterisk free title it wasn't on the cards either it was no title or it was this this outcome which led to the asterisk so it's not max's fault it's not max verstappen's fault but what happened in abu dhabi was wrong and should not have happened the record will show a title but there will forever be that asterisk uh, matt have i have i been unfair in my asterisk and i've said it differently every time asterisk evaluation no i don't think you've been unfair because fundamentally the action of the race director was outside the norms of safety car usage, and it directly affected who won the championship. It's hard to ignore that. That being said, uh, you know, um, I think the decision of the FIA was correct insofar as they could have defended more so Mazzy had they chosen to. I, I think yeah. they, they could have mounted a defense, but I think the cost of that defense would not have been worth it. And the thing that I do want to say is unlike a lot of people, if you take for granted what he said about having a last lap green flag, mm. then, and you don't have to accept that, but if you look at it through the lens of that was his overriding concern, then everything that he did made sense because that was his overarching. Now, that might have been wrong. We can yeah. argue about whether yeah, or not yeah. he should have taken that. 
But if you look at it that way, and I do want to just slightly defend him here and say that you might not like his decision, but the amount of abuse he has come in for after having done three years of this job Mm. with very clearly not enough resource and support from the FIA is just, it's not called for. You can not decision, that's fair enough. But as a person, he is a good person and he should, we should stop banging him directly over the head for this no sure and this is much more about how the fia view that decision the decision's gone christian but the fia have looked at that and they've said his position there is is untenable i i'm taking that as a an admission that what happened should not have happened and they were unable to stand by his decision um but someone's there tim rudd has just said that it's rough on the max verstappen fans it must be galling to have that asterisk on there and it's nothing against them it's just that that title wasn't on from the moment Latifi crashed and it looks like the FIA are tentatively agreeing with that I think you have a lot of losers in this actually I don't think you have any winners because uh, Hamilton lost because of a bad decision Uh, actually Verstappen lost as well because forever people will question his title and I think that's a real shame because she he he drove his butt out of that yeah. car last year, and he's 100%. fully deserved the title. It's just a shame that it was given to him this way. But I think uh, it, it's normal that people uh, come up and say positive things about uh, Masi at this point, because obviously he, the guy was liked within the community, yeah. and he did good stuff and all that. But he also did a lot of stuff that we need to talk about in, in this regard. So uh, I want to start at the Mugello crash in 2020 at the start line that was such, and i think i was on the podcast uh, after that race and that actually. was uh, with uh, uh, bottas just to remind people that was bottas no, it, in- it, it was it was a, re- a safety car restart yeah. uh, and he just called in the uh, the safety car and everything bunched up on the start line and we had a major crash on the start line yes i, I just uh, slight caveat on that was that it was an unusual but perfectly reasonable tactic for Bottas to be very slow all the way to the line, wasn't it? Because he was trying to reduce the slipstream. The, the, the thing is that the way the track was uh, aligned was not everyone could, could see the safety yeah. car just suddenly pull into the pit lane. And then you had people bunching up and some thought the race was started. It was just a dangerous scenario and it was all on race control. And we had, a, I think we have some of those decisions that was sort of like made for, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but it's, it's a good way to describe it. It was made for media. It was yeah. made to entertain. It was made to maybe pick up the pace a little bit. And, and it can be a lot of safety car when you have a safety car. It takes so long and then one more lap and then we have to lap cars and yada, yeah. yada, yada. But if you don't respect that, then you have scenarios like this. And both Verstappen and, and Hamilton lost in that. And, and I don't think any of those drivers deserve that. So it's it was the only option available to the FIA, I think. Yeah, and I think Matt's point is, is, is pertinent in taking it off the individual because we still don't know what pressure he was under. And as Christian says there, a lot of those decisions were made with the media in mind. Um, so... Yes, but ultimately, you know, he, he's got to stand by the decisions he's made. But I, I'm sympathetic to the pressures he must have been under. Totally. The pressures, but also, I, it's really, to me, it's the lack of resource. This is bigger. And frankly, I think it goes back even to Charlie. Charlie had like nine different jobs. Mazzy inherited all of them. They should have, they should have done a better job of giving him more people mm-hmm. than 
if they wanted him to concentrate on being race director, and they did not. They failed to support him adequately in this job. COVID was obviously part of that. Yeah. Okay. I want to be clear, by the way, between pressure and pressures. So pressure is, ooh, you're on telly and it's really difficult. No, anyone who does that job, you're you're gonna you're gonna get all the rewards of that job. Uh, you're going to get the money from that job. The pressure is absolutely part of it. What I mean by pressures is external pressure, you know, whether there was someone within the organization saying, you know, in his ear going, don't let this finish under a safety car. This would be a disaster. That's the kind of pressures I'm talking about. So anyway, a lot of that is uh, by the by. And uh, and it's history now because there is no more Michael Massey race director. If you think we've got any of that wrong, please feel free to email Matt at MissedApex.net. No, feedback at MissedApex.net comes through to me and Matt as well uh, it's a it's a, a very big subject i, I want to avoid rehashing everything that happened in abu dhabi and look forward now matt because there are two replacements for michael massey what do we know about them well um we know that uh freitas who uh runs WAC, has been race director there for umpteen years and is incredibly respected by all the drivers and teams will be stepping into that role except for i would assume where there are conflicts between the WEC and the Formula One schedule. And then we will get Wittich, who is the current DTM race director. And uh, that's my guess right now. We haven't seen a schedule. I don't know how they'll actually be rotated. They will also have an assistant in the form of Herbie Blash, who was Charlie Whiting's right-hand man and his given up working full-time in his consultancy to come back and assist uh, the FIA in, uh, I guess you would say, oh. stabilizing the ship. So, so uh, Charlie Whiting had Herbie Blash, but Massey didn't have a Herbie. Correct. Oh, Christian. Yeah, and I'm just going to point out a thing with Herbie here. He was asked by Peter Winslow, I think, on his, a recent interview what he would have done in uh, Abu Dhabi. And he sort of laughed it off. I was on holiday <laughs> with some friends, yada, yada. But he basically said, stop the race, then a sprint race. I mean, stop red flag and then give them the three laps. Yeah, That was his initial thought. So a funny point. Of course, it was caught off guard maybe and stuff, but uh, that was his immediate reaction. Yeah. And look, I mean, we can definitely, and we we probably will, Matt, talk about what we think should happen but as we said last week as long as as long as that's all set out in advance and everyone can plan for it there's no real drama we don't want to get to the point of competition cautions which maybe we did kind of drift into a little bit at the beginning of the Massey era but fundamentally if everybody knows a late crash is going to result in a, a red flag situation then then what you're going to see is you're never going to see the Vettel 20 lap gap are you you know you're always going to see people preserving tires assuming they say you can't change tires if they say oh you can change tires and it's a three lap sprint and and that keeps happening i guess the danger is that we just keep going uh, every other race ends in a three-lap sprint because it will become addictive. It will be like race director crack, won't it? I, I need my race to be better than uh, Fretus's race. Therefore, I'm going to throw the reds. Oh, there's a squirrel. There's a squirrel on track, Matt. Throw the reds, three-lap sprint race. Yeah, well, that's that's always the concern, that you'll start getting safety cars for things like, oh, uh, there's a rapper that blew across the track or... You know, one of, one, of the, one of the race engineers felt a little weird. So safety car, everybody. 
that that would be the NASCAR solution. But I don't think with uh, Freitas or Wittich, you are going to see that if there's a safety car, it's because there needs to be one. And I don't know, I, I, I'm torn between wanting to talk about the safety car itself a little bit, because that's another thing that they're going to be looking at. And just talking a little bit more about the people who are going to be doing this job. And it's all about safety when it comes to Freitas. And I love he had an interview. He talked about viewing track limits from yes. the point of view of safety. Like the track was designed for the limit to be where the car could go as fast as it could go. And then the safety features can absorb the energy should it lose control. And when you let cars go beyond that limit, they are putting themselves into a dangerous situation, even if the drivers don't acknowledge it. And he views it as his role to absolutely crack down on that. Ah, uh, track track limits, Jules. Your countrymen won't be happy because you've, you've made your own this year. You, you people. That's why. Yeah, uh, I I um, wanted to 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 just point out that that this isn't uh, such an issue over here uh, at all. Um, in the first place, uh, the the whole asterisk. Yeah. Um, thing, oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, it's like you know you become world champion in soccer with an offside goal. No one cares about the offside goal. It's just you have the cup and forever and ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, did well. Did the English did when in ten in I was going to say in ten sixty six, but that was the Battle of Hastings in nineteen sixty six in the World Cup. You know, did it cross the line? That controversy. Did that stop the English bleating on about that for fifty years? Exactly. Exactly. Um, thing is, I, I what it's point what is pointing out pointed out in the in the in the group chat just now is that Niels Wittich, the the DTM guy, um, actually kind of messed up the the DTM finale uh, uh, last season. Uh, so what happened? Um, if I if I remember correctly, there was a, a cont- controversial um, collision. Yes, between the, right, yeah. the two championship leaders and pretty much what was feared for the final race in Abu Dhabi in Formula One actually happened in the final DTM race with with the guy fined by none of uh, none of none of them finishing uh, just crashed uh, crashed the other guy out and that was that. But I might be I might be wrong, but I will be corrected if I am. After taking a very large shortcut through the infield to make that crash happen <laughs> in the first race. Christian. I think we actually talked about this uh, last year on this podcast. I saw that race and we talked about how the race direction was led. And that was actually, it looked like there was no race direction at all in that race. It was off the roof crazy. But mm. uh, And I don't think actually anything happened afterwards and it was the wrong guy who won and just everything was just... Ugh. Yeah, so, okay, so let's talk about the roles then because there was failings of the stewards as well, by the way, in Abu Dhabi because the decision, if it is now deemed to be wrong, and I, I'm really not seeing any any credible argument that it wasn't, the stewards should have picked that up, which says, is it too much for race control to be the referee essentially as well surely matt race control safety making sure everything runs along ticking uh, in charge of like overall discipline so saying to people hey guys you're not allowed to bring paintballs i've seen two of you you've got paintball guns in the car it's not very sporting it's that kind of thing and then they go ah verstappen uses a paintball gun i told you about the paintball gun thing max oh sorry but he shouldn't be there as like the police of the sport of being the referee but there's some 
talk now of bringing in a VAR system, like a video arbitration replay, whatever that they use in soccer. So maybe maybe we can take that that ultimate whose fault is it burden off of the race controller who who should be managing better things, bigger bigger and more important things almost. Right. The race director has always been able to refer incidents to the stewards, but it's never been the thing that he's supposed to be doing. The stewards can investigate yeah. things on their own as well. And what one of the changes being proposed here is that they will have a fully functional off-site facility to review everything with all of the rules, completely knowledgeable. That will be with whom the teams communicate and certain questions will be then forwarded on to the race director through a third party, if I've understood it correctly. It was a little bit vague in how they phrased it, but it seemed like you're not going to have the same sort of whining, pleading, and bullying yeah. <laughs> that we heard uh, earlier this season. And I'll add just another quote. I know I have a lot of them tonight, but... Uh... Freitas, uh, Eduardo Freitas, who's the uh, WEC uh, race director, he he was asked uh, about um, how, to which uh, end the track extent, where does the track start and where does the track end? And he was just like one liner, the track is within the white line. So, I mean, he, that approach could mean something from for the new race direction. But as Matt was just pointing out, now you have a digital, like a data-driven backup center, real-time, and that will always help you. Yeah, well, the, the track limits to me, it's gone so far and it's, it causes so many problems for the race directors that you've, you've got to start employing the white lines more. And, uh, and, and if, uh, if they're now in a consultation period where they're still deciding what they're going to do, I mean, like Christian said, three days till cars on track. You, sh- you would hope that by now they have decided things like, the restart procedure but let's fix it now let's fix late safety cars that's the problem of the day i'm going with my suggestion of five extra laps of fuel if there's no late safety car you must have that five liters of fuel for scrutineering if there is a late safety car they can keep going around in circles like they do but the laps get paused and the race director has an option to add right safety car fuel now unlocked we are now ending instead of lap 63 on lap 68. Safety car coming in. Good luck, everyone. Perfect plan. Well done, Spanners. Time to move on. No, no flaws in that at all. No, that will never work. Why, why, why won't it work? Because, number one, the weight restrictions on the car would have to be increased again to okay. account for the fuel. Increase them. Great. Cool. Good. Done. Um, Each driver has more- to leave a leg in pit lane. <laughs> But more more to the point, you you would um you would have also the argument about how long the race goes on TV, and you would have the argument about how long the cars are designed to go for. The thing that's really being talked no, no, about. No, no, now, no, no, no. I need to I need to solve that one. Sorry, sorry. Get rid of the national anthems <laughs> on the podium. No one needs them. No one cares. They're all dross. Drop them. I will agree with that. Even if we don't change anything else, I'd be yeah, happy to see the, the national anthem. We'll just save but time. I think the countries pay for that, if I'm being honest. Uh, Christian, then back to what you were saying. I think we should get rid of the safety car unless there's like a really bad accident and just use, uh, maybe extend the virtual uh, safety car a bit so maybe you can control the cars a bit more. So if you could have like a double yellow where you uh, decrease the speed even more, but 
all the cars still keep their the positions on track. So if you have an area where they have to pass something on track, maybe it's just 10 miles an hour for that period, but it would be the same for everyone. So you wouldn't really neutralize the race. I think that would be the perfect scenario and probably easier to manage in the end. Uh, hang on. Uh, Rob Asher in the live chat has just said, Spanner's plan goes awry when there's another incident in the extra laps. No, you fool. You've got you've got two. I said, didn't I say that at the beginning? You've got two lots of safety car fuel. Shut up, Rob. You're ruining it, Jules. I think uh, uh, adding to what Christian just said, we should realize, and probably FIA as well, the, the whoever is in charge of, uh, of of the race direction for the weekend, uh, safety car really has to has a job to gain back some confidence of of the Formula One uh, viewers well, because. Yeah. Even before Abu Dhabi, there was all, already a sentiment of safety cars being plugged in uh, for uh, for uh, um, yeah. excitement, competition, or cautions, entertainment. Yeah. yeah, and 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 every time it, the safety car uh, goes out, now it's going to be scrutinized. And um, so, it, I, I actually think that it, it um, end it. Well, well, a lot of a lot of a situation could be solved with a virtual safety car. I think, and let I, I hope uh, I hope it, it it will it will work out better with this uh, with this race direction. Yeah, I think I think you're right because when the virtual safety car came out, there was a brief period, Matt. I think we mentioned it a few weeks back, where everyone went, "Oh, that works really well," and I'm, I'm sure there was a season or two where they just really leaned on the virtual safety car, and then we realised that we were losing one of the things that spiced up races which was bringing in a late safety car and then the safety cars started creeping in on more and more tenuous reasoning yes well there's always been an argument quickly for using the safety car versus the virtual safety car and that's how long the marshals need to be on track or in harm's way to fix or remove whatever they need to fix or remove the other issue has always been the unlapping of cars, and that's what's being looked at. Um, and this is a thing that Vettel's been on for years. But imagine if instead of sending the cars round to be unlapped, which usually takes a lap or two, you just simply had them go, th- any lapped car simply goes through the pit lane and comes out at the back of the pack. Suddenly the safety car period is much less. And then the third problem, which you allude to, and I hope they look at, is what do you do with the safety car in the last five laps? which I think should be an automatic red flag. Bring everybody like out of the pit lane with no changes. I don't like and it. And then you go off on your last five laps once it's all cleaned up. I don't like it, Matt. I don't like it. Once you start That's using that, and idea. once you see how exciting that is, every race director, I tell you, I'm telling you, late red flags is going to be race director crack. They will not be able to put it down. It will be more. So they'll be like, mm, mm, I need my hit. I need my hit of a red flag three lap sprint race. I've got a question for the panel. I want all of you to answer it. Jules, how many teams should there be in Formula One? Go. 18. 18 teams. You want a 36-car grid? I want Friday morning pre-qualifying back. I love you, man. I agree with you. We are speaking the same language. How many teams will you let through? How many cars will you let through to the final grid? 30. 30 feels right to me. 30, 28, yep. Yeah, I, I love that. And then you've got some people who go home like fully disappointed, who don't get to play race cars. 
that that weekend and then you won't see this will be our next topic then you will really need to make sure that both your drivers are capable because you don't you don't want your midfield car only one driver qualifying week after week i think you need to rewatch all races to the point that you think there were that many cars on the grid and count those cars and that's the amount that should be on the starting grid christian how many cars should there be in f1 uh, legally, you can only have twelve teams. Why but, legally? Uh, yeah, that is just the rules, and it uh, it has to do with the money. Uh, so, if you have a hundred percent money and you have ten teams, they get ten each. If you have twelve teams, you do the math, and if I mean, eventually the money will run out, and you will have you will degrade the series because the budgets will go lower, and suddenly you're not the peak Formula One extraordinaire carbon cars driving around it would be sort of like an indie car thing and everything is ruined and it was all your fault <laughs> it was all my fault why don't they just make <laughs> more money matt the abu dhabi grand prix had more viewers than the super bowl which i understand is quite popular it's basically a, a, a song and dance advert show with some sport either side to spice things up but there's enough money in Formula One. That's not an issue. So I'll ask you, how many teams should there be in Formula One? Um, if you ask me, I like 12. I think that's a good number. Uh, I think the problem is exactly what Christian has mentioned, that the current rules only pay out to the top 10 teams. And we saw during the Bernie era what happens to those teams that are finish 11 or 12. And I know you're going to say, but we have more money. Yes, yeah, we do. Just make but right money. now that money is divided 10 ways. And if you're one of those 10 teams, go ahead and convince me to give away money that I use as part of my operating budget to somebody else just because you want more viewers. I don't know if it's going to be an easy sell. Well, just get rid of those teams and get teams in that will do whatever you want. Like you, you guys, you're just you're giving me really softball problems. It's like ah, oh, I can't, I can't go outside because I've got concrete on these shoes. Oh, just change your shoes, man. Just change your shoes. Jules is the only one here making sense. Jules. A million cars on the grid. I think that's what you said. The pre-qualifying, someone asked, did you just solve pay drivers? You did it. Jules Sagers, you solved pay drivers in F1. You're a genius. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, Matt, but let's talk about what might potentially be an actual extra team in Formula One. I like that. And this would be our friends at the Andretti Motorsport Company, who made a bid for Sauber. Sauber should have sold them the team when they had the chance, but they decided not to. And being, I suppose, American and not easily deterred, they've gone off, raised a bunch of money, sent some paperwork to the FIA and said, we'll be ready in 2024 and we'll even pay your extortionate fee to join your fancy private club mm. if you're going to make us do that. Yeah, so Formula One teams now have to pay $200 million and that is yep. meant to soften the blow of what Christian was describing, which is less prize money for for the teams so they're willing to put up that 200 million dollars but according to scott mitchell they yep. it, it seems to be somewhat of a negative response of f1 scott mitchell says f1's not open for entries at the moment and it doesn't look like the fia has any interest in changing that for now this is the key hurdle that will stop andretti's bid process unless it convinced the fia to open up jules yeah I think we need to to take that post by the race.com if I'm correct uh, with a pinch of salt because if I'm if I'm correct Andretti put out that message on Friday 
And somehow the race uh, got this this information from FIA during the weekend. Kind of find it hard to believe that that the press people uh, at the FIA work in in uh, in a weekend like this to to uh, to cut short such a, such a, a proposal by by Andretti. So I think they tried to put off uh, you know the cowboys like uh, like uh, Stefan F one uh, that was one day and. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this this will this will go on for a bit. I like the idea you're bringing up there, Jules. That it was Derek the intern finding out the response to like Pantera Team Asia or Campos Monaco, and just recycling it because they didn't know what else to do when an actual journalist got in touch with them over the weekend because all the real people were off doing whatever they do over the Derek's weekend. Derek's trying his best. Actually, they almost bought Sauber Alfa um, Romeo. Last year, but the the uh, the the thing broke down because suddenly the price increased to almost the double. Uh, so they've been quite serious about getting into Formula One for for a while. And you know when uh, Daddy Andretti goes out on a limb and just does a full interview on the subject, it's not it's not just beginners talk and uh, as he said in the interview actually they've been in talk with Bernie Egglestone for quite a while and Bernie Egglestone has put down most of the rules they have to comply with so so I think this is more or less serious business whatever happens I'm not sure but they mean this and they have some serious people behind them and you have to consider at this point this would be an American team which has been the holy grail for Formula One for how long imagine the value added if you had the Andretti name running a Formula One team for Liberty. So I find it remarkable that the FIA would really be quite resistant to this, but I would not be surprised for them to be thoroughly unprepared for this to be made public on a Friday afternoon. Oh my goodness. An early contender for comment of the week. Daz the Gardener says the alpha deal broke down. Typical. And, then, <laughs> and anyone who's ever owned an Alfa Romeo, hands up here, uh, will we'll completely get that reference. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. More teams is something that me and Jules want. You two are like... Oh, but the money. But the F1 would be better. Can you at least agree, Christian, that F1 would be better if there was more more cars, more cars on track? The cars on track is the whole thing. More is better. 
I, I totally agree, and uh, I think more is better until a certain degree. I think you have you have uh, the logistics about the shipping. You have uh, how many uh, garages are on the pit wall, etc. Imagine Monaco; it, it would be well. There you go. Maybe that's the way in. That's a lot of cars. No Monaco. Spanners uh, yeah, we, yeah, we'd get rid of Monaco. In fact, there I, was... I would love a lot of cars. But I think I think 30 cars is maybe a bit too much. You, you need this field to be closer as we have right now. We we are in a luxury period. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. But Pete Shilcock in the chat says, the last Formula One race to feature 26 cars took place on this day in 1995. The Monaco Grand Prix, Christian C. Okay. The Monaco yeah. Grand Prix round five of the championship I'll contested see. by 13 constructors. And if they have to share a garage, that's it. You just say the six worst ones have to share a garage. It's so simple. I am on fire today. You just keep knocking up these softballs and I just keep boo, knocking them out of the park. Yeah, so the thing for me that appeals most about having more teams on the grid, and, and why I said 12, that's, that was just a number that might work with the current revenue of Formula One and the cost cap in my head, is that you will be giving more young drivers a place yeah. to go on the grid, and you'll be seeing more actual action on track. There will be more over it, and the more cars, theoretically, the more overtakes, the more there is for us to pay attention to during a race. Therefore, it should be more exciting. There probably is a point beyond which it's a negative <laughs> because the teams themselves lack the ability. There's only so much talent, Formula One talent in the world. Yeah. And once you drop below that, then, then you're going to be getting negative returns on the amount of teams you allow. So I think it's okay to be cautious when you start expanding the grid. But I, for me, the Andretti thing is is a very real and valid offer, and they'd be fools yeah. to not work it out between now and 2024, which is when they say they'd be ready to go. Okay, so talking to Alex Bundle last week, and we were talking about why you know why privateer teams you know might struggle and the control that the works teams have, but Jules's pre qualifying isn't isn't crazy. There's a lot of Olympic events where there's a spirit of inclusion. So if I turn up in a sport that Britain doesn't really do, and I say, well, I'm Britain's representative, I've still got to, to reach a certain standard. There's pre-qualifying there. So if you say to teams, yeah, you can, you can come in. I'll tell you what we'll do. We will make the rules so that it is more conducive to coming in. We, we're moving more and more towards spec cars anyway. So you turn up on a Thursday, and if you want to compete and you're not one of the, the 10 seeded teams... Here's the lap time that we need you to set to show that you can even start pre-qualifying. Then you can enter pre-qualifying. You know, that, that's fine. You're not going to get rusty bobsleds under that system. We already have, I think, the 107% rule. Well, there you go then. As it is. We're, in that case, we're gold. Objection overruled, Christian. I think it's so difficult to run cars at these speeds, at this level, that you need like the perfect combination of people and everything just working together and you you there's not enough people not enough resources to to, to have like 15 teams i think you would always look at mesopin uh, currently in a house everyone is why well, is he not getting out of the way he's not qualified to be in formula one imagine if you had like 10 mesopins on the road he might people not, would be screaming he might not qualify I'm just trying to counter you guys. I would love a lot of cars. So, <laughs> yeah, you're being bit... you're being the grown up. Let's go back to Jules. <laughs> back to the point of Andretti. Um, yeah. I was thinking Christian reminded us that the Sauber deal 
kind of fell through because it suddenly got a lot of more expensive. And now this FIA response, whether we take it seriously or not, is it is there any way um, F1 might not want Andretti in the circus? Could there be a hidden agenda to to block them from entering? And what would that be? Matt? That's an interesting question. Um, if there would be a hidden agenda, it would probably have to do with potential engine deals they have done. Or, you know, I mean, I hate to bring up a general anti-American bias, but I feel like I probably could, and it wouldn't be too terribly wrong on some levels. Matt, they've just signed the quota for another six years there's 45 new formula one tracks in the usa popping up it's owned by america there's not an anti-american bias in f1 they love to take our money but look at how haas was treated when they showed up in the paddock is what i would i would say to you and this was the haas that showed up and finished fifth in their first season you mean the haas that was so welcomed into f1 that ferrari allegedly sent their engineers over to make sure that everything was good and that the is that garage i'll just i'm just polishing up in the corner don't mind me I I will just refer to my long experience of Americans in European sports and say that I believe especially in the FIA which is the regulatory body here that there might indeed be some resistance to any Americans coming in just on a that's a thing that we have always done and not thought about basis. There we go Christian anti-American sentiment stopping Andretti. I don't know. I've, I don't know enough about the the uh, how it works between the European and American racing sides, but there's never been like they've never been connected somehow. There's always been like, oh, that's a European driver or that's an American team. So, but I mean, it's 2022. We need to grow up. Welcome Andretti in. Eleven teams go. Let's do it. We're going to talk about some drivers. Mazabin came up. We, we we mentioned Jules curing and solving forever the issue of pay drivers. And with the the with the the announcement that Albon is going to be getting a second chance after a year out in Formula One, uh, I think we're going to have a look at the junior record of the current F1 grid and the state of drivers that are there on merit, whatever that means, drivers who are supported in some way and drivers who are out-and-out pay drivers. And so I just want to make this clear for the conversation. Like a spanner's almanac, when I say pay driver, I mean someone who receives funding because of who they are, not because of what they can do. So we know Lewis Hamilton got backing from McLaren, but that's because of what he could do. He was identified as a kid, got backing. Yes, you need some kind of backing to get into into Formula One. You can't turn up in a rusty bobsled on your own, pitch up at Formula Three and go. You do need some support. We know that. But the people who supported Lewis Hamilton were looking for a driver to support. The people who supported Sergio Perez were looking for a driver to support and they, they chose Sergio Perez. Lance Stroll... Lawrence Stroll, sorry, wasn't looking for a driver to fund. He was always going to fund Lance Stroll. So to me, that's my definition of a pay driver. You can have your own. If you're funded because of who you are, pay driver. If you're funded because of what you can do, 
to me, that's that's not a paid driver. But this is something I've been very moany about the last few seasons because of the percentage of what I would consider to be paid drivers that are on the grid. And there's always been a response of, ah, twas ever thus. If I remember in 1997, there were seven earls and four barons on the F1 grid. And I'm like, OK, great. Do you know what, we, what else we used to have in Formula One? Regular death and serious inju- injury. We, we solved that. We can solve this as well. Ah, but the rich drivers fund racing. As I said, F1 outdid the Super Bowl. There, there is money in Formula One. And I hope the new management lives up to the pre-president, uh, pre-presidential, uh, what do you call it, his campaign, where he wanted to support grassroots driving. This is Mohammed Ben Suleiman. He's yeah. a driver. He's a driver. If he is a driver and he wants to make good on that, then he needs to make F1 about the actual best drivers in the world at the elite realm of F1. And we're going into 2022 with what I think might be one of the weakest F1 grids in modern Formula One. There we go, Matt. I've said my piece, but we saw a really great tweet. We must shout out the account. It was uh, AS19 on Twitter, I think is the name of the account. AS19 underscore Alex. And we're going to link to this gentleman's YouTube channel as well. He did a fantastic thread on how the, the drivers did against their teammates in junior car series. Yeah, he did. And in fact, it was really very, very interesting. Although I will say I converted his teammates to seasons. Okay. Because I discovered that some people had like three teammates they competed against. Some people had no teammates they competed against. But he looked at whether they won or lost. And this actually presents sort of an interesting set of data. So what percentage of the current grid do you suppose never lost a single season in their junior category? Well, this is interesting. So I, my bias to this argument, I'm going to say the drivers I think are not paid drivers basically didn't lose to teammates and the drivers that were paid drivers lost to a bunch of teammates. Although I have, of course, read the thread as well. So drivers who've never lost to a teammate in their whole junior career, uh, maybe that would be quite an elite club. So maybe four. Um, it was actually six, I believe. Oh, seven, yeah. seven. Okay, 35% want- of the grid. 35% of the grid. Do you, do you have a handy list of the drivers who never lost to a teammate? Verstappen. Mm-hmm. Hamilton. No surprises. Leclerc. Yeah, he's good, that lad. Norris. Nice. Alonso, although one of his seasons he only had part-time teammates, so <laughs> okay. take that as you will. Yep. And Perez. And Perez. Very, very Although interesting. Two of his seasons, he had no teammates at all. Okay, well, he was definitely going to win those then. Um, but there's also a list of drivers who have only lost once and you I think would, I think you yeah. missed one actually. Oh gone. Did you say Daniel Ricciardo? Daniel Ricciardo, yeah. Okay, sorry, I just didn't hear it. Sorry. No, that's right. And that would make I think that makes seven, Matt. So I think you did you did miss that one. Oh seven. Yeah. Did I six, seven? Yeah. C- whatever. Uh, correct Close challenge. Up. Correct challenge from Christian there. Thank you very much. But the list of drivers that has only lost to, to one is actually makes that list a bit longer because some of them only lost in their first season. And for example, Vettel lost to Paul Deresta but he cut that that season it's short. A partial season, I yeah, to yeah. go to Toro Rosso. So we, we can also add Vettel to that list, and probably the drivers that only lost their first season against an experienced teammate would include Russell, Ocon, Sunoda, oh. Botas, and your favourite Stroll. Is that right? Stroll only lost to one teammate. 
Well, he only lost one season. Ah, probably, right. But you it, lo- it, lo- I don't know how many teammates it was. But like I said, I converted them to seasons because that made more sense to me. Oh, okay. And and you just wanted to stick that knife in about Stroll. That's what you were going for. But he lost to four teammates. Stroll lost to four teammates right. the one season he was there. Can we list the teammates that Stroll beat in the junior series? Would that be quicker? Um, he won his F4 with Prima. He lost to Rosenquist and Dennis at Prima his first season at F3. And then he won after European with Prima. And then he was off to F1. That's, that's what the thread said. Okay. But what we've got then is a list of not so greats. If we look at the, the bottom end of that, we've got people who are joining F1 or are in F1 who have lost... 85% of teammate battles, 90% and 100%. And that list is less glamorous. Yes. Well, uh, if we're talking about people who lost four uh, seasons, that would be Alman. And he interestingly lost every time he changed series. He lost first and then one after that. Mazapan lost six, I believe, of his seven seasons okay. that he was in the juniors. And then uh, Latifi... Uh, managed to lose eight seasons in the juniors. And Joe, who was uh, brand new at Alfa Romeo, lost uh, uh, seven of his seasons. And and so they are the statistical outliers because 80% are in the two or less seasons lost sure. categories. Okay, but that does paint a picture that we've got drivers who didn't do well in the junior series against their teammates have come into F1 and not done well against their teammates. So it's quite a high percentage, is my point, of those of those drivers. So if you look at Latifi and and Joe and Mazepin, Alex Albon, he, he hasn't exactly done great against his teammates, has he, in F1? Didn't do great against his teammates in feeder series. And Stroll, who only beat Sorokin, we've got a really weak representation from the drivers who are funded because of who they are and not because of what they can do. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Although, you know, it's Albin is interesting um, at Red Bull. And I know this just from my chats with Summers. You know, we talked about how Perez's car was often like a whole development behind Verstappen. Albin's car was sometimes two or three developments behind Verstappen's car in his full season that he ran with the team. So I don't think um, if you're looking at his Formula One record, you can get an accurate depiction of how he was doing against Max because they really were running almost entirely Mm -hmm. different cars at certain points in the season. And the other thing I would say in defense of Albon, and why I think the matchup with Latifi is going to be so exciting, is that he would lose the first season and then go on and win the second season. And that to me says that there's a settling in that he requires in order to get the most out of a car. Yeah, but a better driver wouldn't need that. I'm looking at Mick Schumacher as well, by the way, who I'm going to add to that list. Uh, lost a lot in his his early uh, in his early career, so he's lost to four of his teammates leading up. And I would put Mick Schumacher, as, as lovely as he seems, in the category of being funded because of who he is rather than because of of what he can necessarily do. Uh, but yeah, you wanted to, you, you look exasperated at my, my album. No, comment. no, no, no. Uh, you are absolutely correct. He did. Uh, the, the, the reason I find that a little deceptive from Schumacher's point of view is that one season he had three different teammates okay. that he lost to. So he, uh, he uh, along with um, Sainz and Gasly, interestingly, 
lost two of their seasons to however many teammates they had. Look, Jules, it's too many. It's too many of these kind of drivers who didn't have glittering careers. And just look at the... The, the waste of talent who did much, much better than that in junior series. It's, there's too many of them, and there's too many of them in the midfield at the moment. That's why we need 30 cars. Yeah, exactly. No, seriously. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a common problem. And, and um, uh, I think, you know, Matt's research shows um, how many, well, relatively poor um, uh, junior series careers uh, some of the Formula One drivers have. On the other hand, um, I think they should also deserve some time to see if they can actually cut cut it in Formula One. Damon Hill is one of the, 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 the most famous examples of drivers who wouldn't really stand out. And then in Formula One, they actually, he actually found his, found his groove. But um, you never, you never really know what happened in in the in the junior uh, series uh, years and why it was that they maybe lost to certain teammates. But overall, you can see a, a, a clear development, a while, clear while trend. I, Sorry, while I totally dig statistics and numbers <laughs> and stuff like that, they they never tell the complete picture. Oh, and course, I'm not saying yeah. Matt is yeah, trying yeah. to tell the complete picture, but. Uh, this is an insight into something that you can build a total picture of knowledge of how the season went, what was the scenarios, how was the team working, and yada yada. So a lot of if if you only look for numbers in what's the most viewed, you would probably get some car uh, car crash or something that doesn't make it good content. So. Uh, people sometimes say, "Well, there was that one year where Button beat Hamilton." This button better than Hamilton, so it's a it's it's not a valid argument statistically. Okay, I still we, love I still love the numbers though. So I, I get what you're saying, and by the way, the research was by at as19 underscore yt, and there will be a link to that gentleman's YouTube channel in our show notes as well. I did message him just to thank him for for this thread and this research. Whilst it doesn't tell a story, I just don't think it's a coincidence that drivers that are super awesome like Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez. Come at me, fight me. Ricardo, Leclerc, Norris, Alonso, Vettel went through their their junior series not losing to anyone. And people like Joe, Latifi, Mazepin, Album, Michael Schumacher, uh, Mick Schumacher lost time after time. And they also happened to be the drivers who from birth were deigned to join F1. This isn't a coincidence, Matt. Yes, of course. The problem is the proper corrective to this is Kumui Kobayashi, who did absolutely nothing (laughs) until they chucked him into a Formula One car and then he just lit it on fire. So there will always be outliers on either thing. I think it's fair, whatever, that, and, and I think Sainz and Gasly are also good examples of drivers that didn't necessarily look super impressive. Yeah, Sainz is an outlier on that list, isn't it? In their junior career, but when they got it together, they were prop. They were and are properly, properly competitive. Who's coming in there, uh, Jules? Well, um, if you look at the the this this research, this data, and you look at some of the drivers that beat some of the current Formula One drivers, there are names that you don't even know. Like, yeah, where 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 have they gone? So it's. It's like Christian says. There is, there's always a story behind behind the statistics, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. That's the biggest waste is the the drivers who on merit 
could have should have got to Formula One. And I know people will do the twas ever thus. The people will do, uh, oh, Formula One should be like pro-am and that you need Mazepin to fund your Haas team. The appeal has to be to Mohammed Ben Suleiman as the new president of the FIA. If you're, you're a driver, you said that you wanted to support grassroots driving. What's the point in supporting the grassroots driving if at the very top there's only a limited amount of space for, for genuine talent and you've got six of a 20-car grid that wouldn't be there on merit? Christian? While I do not disagree with the premise, <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I would also add, though, look at Albon. He's back. And I think that's that that is proof that the system also works because if someone deserves a, a second chance, I'd say it's Alex Alpin because just look at the numbers here. Every time you've given him a second chance, he's won. <laughs> uh, that is one point. Also, you don't have a lot of Hamiltons or Alonso's. Uh, there's only a certain amount, even if we are like 7 billion people. Uh, I think only you will only have one of these every seven, eight, nine years. And uh, and then you have the money people and the money drivers, and then you have some talent, and, and then you only have 20 seats. I think it's pretty good what we have right now, actually. I would agree. Most of the grid, 80% of the grid, at worst, lost two seasons out of their junior career. I think that's fairly impressive. But if I was going to be telling our friend Alex to go do more research for me because I'm lazy... The thing that would interest me most is the money or backing that these drivers had throughout their junior career, because that might also explain a lot. Because if you had a, a driver come in without much backing and, and do well, even if they lost more seasons, you would understand because they couldn't afford to be in the better teams in their junior series mm. versus maybe someone who had Ferrari backing who would be put into the best team and only had a middling thing. So if there's a missing dimension for me from this research, it's that. But uh, I, I tend to think it's actually painting a positive picture yeah. relative to past seasons where, you know, fully 50% of the grid couldn't even make it through pre-qualifying. Very good. I think we'll leave that topic there. And finally... The shocking news that Formula One is now a spec series, i.e. I'm being churlish, of course, but Ross Braun talking to Autosport, I believe, in an article here that I found uh, from Jonathan Noble uh, from the beginning of last month. So this is the beginning of this month, so slightly old news, but it's the attitude of Ross Braun and the FIA and what they will do if someone finds a Braun-style loop in the regulations. So for those of you who who don't know in 20 in sorry in 2009 Ross Braun took over the Honda F1 team and they found a a loophole. They found an innovation which was a, a double diffuser which something something airflow made the back super grippy and Jensen Button went away and just won the first five or six races something like that and then other teams copied it and they spent the rest of the season trying to catch up which Sebastian Vettel very nearly did, but Jensen Button ended up winning that championship. Now, Ross Bourne himself, Matt, is saying that they have, they firstly, they think they've shut down all the loopholes. Well, I bet they haven't. They didn't shut down the bathtubs, the Ferrari side pod bathtubs, did they? But also that if someone does find their double diffuser, that they're going to take action to basically stop that. So, I mean, doesn't that make this 
ever more a spec series as we've been arguing is happening and been even arguing a little bit for in my case yeah i mean it does although to be fair about it that's nothing new and through the technical directives the fia has often sought to limit or remove these sorts of advantages from teams a lot of times what you'll get is we'll let you have it for this year but you won't get it in next year's regulations and as we as we've seen with frick and we've seen with das and things like that they will take away the toys of the top performing teams as rapidly as they can so the quote here is that we're pushing with new governance where we can make changes with much shorter notice than at the present time if you exploit a loophole in the future braun says you can be shut down the next race which you could never do now so what's the point in trying christian oh i found this great loophole oh well if anyone knows about this, it's Ross Braun, right? Because yeah, he man. was like the last uh, guy to, to, to exploit it. But uh, it, it's not so simple, I think. When you have uh, changes as we have this year, it's it's a completely new rule book and someone will find a loophole. And you will destroy the sport if you let someone just mm. ride away with that loophole. So, for instance, for the first three races, all like the stress tests they are going to do on the bouncy bits – they are uh, allowing themselves to increase or decrease them by 20% during the first three races. So oh. let's say one thing can flex 10 centimeters. They are allowed to adjust that 20 by up to 20% during the first three races. So this is all, this is a trial and error for, for the FIA as well. They have to, we have to find a common ground. Wait, wait a minute, bouncy bits. What's, so, for instance, like the rear wing with the oh. with the Mercedes in Brazil last year. Oh yeah, that that was an opening that was only allowed to be a certain amount, and something maybe bounced in the wind, opened a bit more. Or if you have something that is flexing on the front wing, how much can it flex? Do you have a floor that is sun- suddenly flexy? That would mean a lot for for this season. So, how are you going to feel as a fan, Matt? especially you as a F1 tech fan and running, of course, our tech segments and tech shows, if you see this great innovation in race three and Ferrari disappear into the distance, win that race by 20 seconds, and then they just go, no. And then the next race, they just can't use that. Ferrari did really well. They found a thing. Well, I think, all right, so this is a regulatory question, very much so. But I feel like they, are, they were talking about, from my reading of the article, innovations that defeat the purpose of the regulations. So not something clever within the regulations that allows one team to be better than the other, but something that essentially subverts the concept of the, the, high, outwa- the high overflow and reducing the outwash of the car, making it impossible for another team to follow, for example. Or as as Christian was talking to talking to us about the aeroelasticity of certain bits, which, as we discovered talking to Summers last week, that the uh, beam wings, which are now back, currently have no static test at all to test their aeroelasticity. I wonder if that will change once we see them on track. Was that directed at me, Matt? Because I don't know. Uh, no, it was just it was just a bit that could be flexy that's not being tested for being flexy right now by the FIA, and I was surprised they're not. But uh, the thing that Braun is proposing is interesting is the time frame in which they'll be able to change it, and that's yeah. due to 
the number of teams that will have to be, approve a new set of rules. So, so the teams that don't have it might want to spend money on it, but can't, will now say no to it, and it will be taken away. So it is a bit more egalitarian in that. Also, if someone finds this perfect solution for something and runs away with it for, let's say, three races and it gets uh, deemed illegal, they will still carry the points for those three races. So it's that's true. It's it's worth something. So interesting. So someone comes through with a, an innovation. A team turns up with eight wheels. Ha ha! Stick it to Tyrrell with their puny six wheels. They turn up with eight wheels. The teams basically get to go. Do we object to this loophole and get it to be banned? In which case, yes, like Christian says, they, they take their 75 points for the win. But I guess they can also go, not only is that fine, we think we can do it better and we can have that by the next race. So we're not going to vote against it. We're going to try and build it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you sort of got to love it because what it's going to come down to is a decision under the budget cap. Can we do this under the budget cap? Well, maybe we want to do that under the budget cap. Is it going to cost us three years worth of budget to catch up to them? Then no, we should probably take it away. So it's going to be kind of self-policing that way. At least uh, the proposal that he's put forward, obviously that itself needs to be approved by the World Motorsport Council, okay. if I've understood all the governance stuff correctly, well, which just, is at least yeah. a 20% chance I have. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to put Jules in charge. Jules. This is this is keeping it to a, a spec series. This is essentially engineering performance ballast. I don't mind. I think the optics don't put really look good on it because it, it'll look like a team is being stifled. The fan community is going to have lots and lots to say the first time it actually happens. But is the spirit correct? I don't think so. I, I actually um, I was surprised by the by the Brown remark because. Before the, he he kind of claimed like ah oh, these new regs are bulletproof no loopholes possible, yeah. and now with the new cars coming out he comes with this with this quote and makes me think like what well, uh, is he is he worried is he worried teams are are gonna find the loopholes like like they always do and isn't the, the are the regulations not that bulletproof mm-hmm. and I think let them you know that's Formula One that it, Formula One is also about you know finding these things. Mm being smarter and and just a step ahead of everyone else and 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 that should be should still be possible and shouldn't be threatened on beforehand like if yeah. you are smart we're going to punish you yeah i don't think that's in the spirit of sport christian and then matt i uh, know uh, i'm just a grown up trying to counter everything you say because i totally agree mm. and i love inventions but uh, if you have this if, uh, just one team running away with it and you already by July knows who's going to be the, the team winning the championship. You you destroy the, the rights of the sport. So you basically destroy what you're building. The Netflix series are not going to be as entertaining. And no one's going to care about the last race. So that is also a balancing act. So I, I think actually the FIA will uh, uh, open with open arms, welcome any inventions even if they're maybe a bit better than the competition, as long as they are within the regulations. But if they are pushing the regulations and they are running away with it, then I think they they have to do something. So the classic counter to that would be Ferrari's power unit. They were never found to have done anything wrong. (laughs) Oh, weren't they? and, And it's always been the FIA's job to take away the toys of the best teams to continue pushing innovation in the sport. This has always been done. The only difference here 
is instead of having an entire season's worth of advantage, you're only going to have a couple of races worth of advantage. And I think that's entirely fair. I think the FIA did find that Ferrari were doing something wrong. They just didn't tell us. Come at me. Otherwise, they'd have just said, yeah, it was, that was wrong. That was a bit dodgy, but it was fair. It was in the rules. They'd have just said if it was in the rules. The only reason to not say it was in the rules, Christian, is because they, they, it wasn't in the rules. It would have been a completely different story if, uh, if Ferrari had run away with it and just won yeah. everything. Then I think it would have been a different story. But the, the problem with Ferrari is they're, they're kind of like cheating in the engine and still doesn't win. <laughs> That's not good. Jules. I think we shouldn't forget how much is at stake for FIA and Formula One and maybe even Liberty at this point. The the new regulations, they were they were postponed. It's been going on for years and now now we're finally here. And it was all meant to bring the field closer together. If that for some reason, for some smart engineer or some loophole doesn't happen, it's it's Formula One put out in the cold. And I think maybe the timing of the Braun quote, you know. I think if you look at some of the cars released this 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 uh, week, you can already see. You don't have to be an error expert to see things and bits and bouncy bits on the car <laughs> that makes you think. Hmm, less dirty air. I'll wait and see. And yet we've seen cars on track in the rain, throwing up rooster tails, and you can see the difference. Visibly see the difference in the spray pattern. Less. The last season, much higher, which is the plan to ah. mushroom it over the top of the following car, doesn't guarantee that you're going to see the aero, full aero benefits or even a potential partial aero benefits that we were promised. But it does at least confirm that their basic concept is working the way they intended. And just the diversity, the visual diversity of the grid to me is incredibly exciting for a spec series. These cars do not yeah, look yeah. the same. But, but Matt, isn't that also dependent on how much water is on the track? What speed was the car driving? Because also, if you look at, this, at the side of the cars, you saw pretty much the exact same vortexes created in the spray. So I don't know. I hope you're right. I, I think for me, as long as, as, long as it's the same for, for everyone, I, I would prefer them to start the season with a set of regulations. And if a team absolutely bosses it and finds that double diffuser well done i think that's that's the nature of formula one but in those halcyon days that i'm looking back at there was less tv pressure as jules said playing the role of grown-up and ruining uh, uh, yet another point after his early genius but are we just we're just going to keep changing things because there has to be a showdown in abu dhabi that, that's my fear we're, we're just changing the sport because there must be a showdown in abu dhabi every year and and apparently we can't just do triple points christian so that to me that that we're losing something i see what we're gaining i see how it's keeping the field tighter i see it's keeping it more competitive we are losing something from the engineering sporting element f1 was nearly unique as this f1 as this engineering sport and we are actively losing that. I, I think you are overreacting. I no, think you are you're overreacting. Yes, you are. You need to pause your social media for a week. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't think you're right because if you look at the cars, look at the inventions on them. Look how different they look. Look how 
how everything is just so well thought. And don't forget that the cars is uh, the the rules of physics are the completely the same as they were last year, and they are all going to try to create more or less the same airflow as they did last year because that is what works. So you're going to talk about Y to fifty vortex. You're gonna talk about vortexes sealing off the floor, and you're gonna see wind going around the coke bottle, and you're gonna see all these different sizes of uh, inlets, and it's gonna be the same, and it's gonna be crazy because now the floor is suddenly a giant creator of downforce. I, I think you're you. I, I don't think there's reason for any unrest on this part. I think yeah, it's going to be yeah. very exciting reason. Yeah, very exciting. Season. Until until what until one team streaks ahead in race one and they get hobbled, then there is going to be an absolute. The first time this happens, Matt, there is going to be absolute pandemonium, and I will have to take Christian's advice and just put my phone in the fridge. <laughs> That's always a good idea with Formula One Twitter these days. I have to say, I don't know. I see it, if anything, as driving innovation. It's going gonna, it's gonna to accelerate the timeline over which teams have to innovate. And if they, if they gain an advantage that is unchaseable, they won't be able to pursue it over a whole season. So they'll have to think about that as part of their planning and engineering process. Okay, well, let's see. Let's see how this plays out. I am really, really looking forward to the first time this happens and I can yell, I told you so. I told you I wasn't overreacting, Christian, and you're not my real dad anyway. And then I'm going to slam the door and run away. Please. How do you know that for sure? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, well, okay. I, well, I have to, I have well. to go, I have to go uh, because not just to call my mum and ask what happened in 1979, but also because we I are, was eight. we are running over our strict one hour time limit. We are in danger of just creeping over that. Please do follow my panel today. All the links to all their social media stuff, plus a link to Alex, who did those great statistics on the drivers' teammate battles in the junior series, will be in the show notes below. So please do follow Christian if he ever gets social media. Jules Sagers, I know he's on Twitter at Jules Sagers F1. Matt is at MattPT55 on Twitter. And I am at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Follow the show at Mist Apex F1. Join our F1, our Mist Apex F1 Facebook group if you like that sort of thing. Or you can join our Slack group by being a Mist Apex patron. Patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. We are only here because you guys support us. Next time we speak to you, there will have been cars on track, not in a test, but in a shakedown. And we will know a few people's opinions of what they saw live. So there'll definitely be more to talk about. I hope you'll join us wherever we see you next. Work hard, be kind and have fun. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.